KMTTE, Kimitzion Torah. You're listening to the Arab Shabbat program. Yudchet Iyar, Arab Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Bechukotai. You are listening to your host, Jonathan Snowbell. A couple of events this week on the Jewish calendar. On one hand, we have Pesach Sheni, which we mark by essentially not saying Tachanun on Yudaladiyar, and Lag Baomer, which is today, Friday, began Thursday night. Two events that don't seem to have anything that connects them whatsoever. And I would tend to agree that these two events have nothing whatsoever that connect them. Yet nonetheless, I found myself in the classroom this week connecting the two events. I connected the two events in my, perhaps we could call it my critique of the way these two days are marked in a way which, in my mind, takes Judaism and presents it in an incorrect light. One of them, in a very minor way, but in my mind, a minor way which shows something is wrong. And and the second example, a more extreme manner. Pesach Sheni. The first time I was exposed to the minhag that people eat matzah on Pesach Sheni was I was in fourth grade. One of the daughters of the Shlichim in Toronto brought matzah with her to school and very indignantly said to us when we asked her, what are you doing? She said, Pesach Sheni. Okay. So, let's make two comments about this practice, which, once again, happened again this week. A teacher in my class brought matzahs on Monday to school for people to eat. Pesach Sheni. So let's be clear about what Pesach Sheni means. Pesach Sheni is the day that, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, those who didn't have an opportunity for whatever reason get a second chance to bring Korban Pesach. So first of all, matzah is involved, but very minorly. The Pesach, the Korban Pesach is eaten, whether at the, on the original date in Nisan or in Iyar, with matzah and maror. In Pesach Rishon, in Pesach and Nisan, there's an independent mitzvah from the Torah to eat matzah at Lel HaSeder, whether we have Korban Pesach or not. And that's why when we eat matzah today at Lel HaSeder, it's min ha-Torah. It's, it's Torah-ordained, even though we don't have a Korban Pesach, which is not true of Maror. Pesach Sheni is different in that sense that we only eat Matzah and Maror in conjunction with Korban Pesach. So then, everybody who eats pe- Matzah on Pesach Sheni should A, know that it's uh, some sort of Zecher Ba'alma, some nice memory of Pesach, Korban Pesach Sheni. Why they eat matzah and not maror, I do not know. Both of them are equally relevant or irrelevant in in the same level. Why they eat matzah on Yudaladiyar, on the day of Pesach Sheni, is a mystery to me. If matzah was eaten with the Korban Pesach, it was eaten, Lel Tetvav. Pesach Sheni, 
Yudalad Yar is the day of the sacrifice of the Korban Pesach. Just like Yudalad Benisan, we sacrifice Korban Pesach, and on Tetvav at night, we eat Korban Pesach, we eat Matzah, we eat Maror. So too, Pesach Sheni is the day, Yudalad Yar, in the afternoon, that we sacrifice the Korban, and the time where we eat the Korban, and eat the Matzah, and eat the Maror, would be Lel Tetvav Yar. So why are people eating matzah and yudalad? Yar. A mystery. A distortion of what the practice was. There is no significance to eating matzah and yudalad yar. Not vis-a-vis what the halacha demands, because the halacha demands korban pesach with matzah and maror. And if you want to make some sort of memory of the original pesach sheni, that displays our yearning for our ability to bring the Korban Pesach Sheini. So eat the matzah at night. Here we have some sort of minhag custom that doesn't give people the correct idea of what this Pesach Sheini is even about. Then we get to Lag Baomer. So what do we have in Halacha when we read about Lagba Omer? Lagba Omer is the day that the Magefa amongst Talmidei Rabiba Kiva either ended or took a short recess. And based on this, we have two Minhagim in Halacha. More precisely, I should say, was the last day of the Magefa amongst Talmidei Rabiba Kiva. So, essentially then, it is a day of mourning. So, according to the Ramah, every day of mourning we can apply the, the, the rule, Mikzat Hayom Kikulo. A portion of the day is equal to the entire day. If I'm obligated to mourn on the 33rd day of the Omer, so I'm allowed to only mourn on part of that day, and that's sufficient. Just like in Shiva. In Shiva, we have seven days of mourning, but the mourner only marks part of the seventh day, and in the morning, he ends the shiva. So too, the 33rd day is a day of mourning, and we we apply this rule of mikzat hayom kikulo, a portion of the day is equal to the entire day. And therefore, says the Ramah, you can already shave on the day of Lagba Omer. In the morning, from the morning, you can already shave, you can already get married. The Shulchan Aruch is more machmir and says, no, we don't say mikzat hayom kikulo for a a communal avelut, and therefore we are only permitted to stop these customs of avelut. We're only permitted to shave from the 34th day of the Omer. We're only allowed to get married from the 34th day. However, everybody knows that the prevalent custom amongst Am Yisrael is to celebrate the 33rd day of the Omer from the night with bonfires, People get married, people shave. And this is due to marking Lag Baomer as Hilula de Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The day we celebrate the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, I would we pa- celebrate the passing of a, of a great rabbi because in the world of Torah Tanistar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the passing of a tzaddik, pardon me, is something that has a positive hashpa on the world. 
because now he can influence the world without being limited by his body, and therefore, we celebrate the day that he passed away into the next world where his influence can be even greater. This is celebrated with a huge, huge event on Har Meron, in the north of the country, the place where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is apparently buried. Hundreds of thousands of Jews are there celebrating this day. Alright. Kach min Hag Yisrael. It's interesting to note that the Shulchan Aruch, who was a Kabbalist in his own right, did not choose to mark Lagba Omer as a day of celebration. He doesn't even allow shaving and getting married on Lagba Omer. We have taken this day and transformed it into some grandiose day, which in, to certain extents is marked in a much more grander fashion than any other day in the Jewish calendar. When in the Jewish calendar 600,000 Jews get together in one place, Okay, so not everything do we do according to the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. And there's a different reason Am Yisrael has accepted a minhag to mark Lagba Omer in a different way. The Seder. But it all comes back to taking something that is not a major occurrence and changing it into something major and central in the religion. Taking a place in Eretz Yisrael, which Eretz Yisrael is Kadosh throughout, from the north to the south, from the east to the west, and making this place, this Makom Kever, a place of Aliyah Regal, a place of pilgrimage, where when we read the Torah, the place of pilgrimage in Eliyahu Regal is Yerushalayim, Harabait. We don't have that option today. So we change a Beit HaKvarot into an Eliyahu Regal. We take a Makom Tum'ah because a Beit HaKvarot is a Makom Tum'ah. And perhaps someone will say, Tzadikim Enam HaKablim Tum'ah. But this distinction and plain halacha is not there, and Kohanim wouldn't be allowed to go into this place. Tumah is not something that we celebrate in Yadut, it's something that we deal with. Suddenly, the Makom, which is Kadosh, is ignored, largely, and the Makom, Beit HaKvarot, is a place of pilgrimage of Aliyah Regal. And a day, which in halacha, is doubtful whether we can celebrate, we could get married, we can shave, turns into a day of great celebration, perhaps the greatest celebration of the whole year. The celebration of Lagba Omer is a celebration which puts symbols and things that are not the central theme of Jewish thinking and makes them into the, the center. A Beitak Farot becomes a central point of worship. A book which is not 
learned centrally by Jews all around the world. It's not the Tanakh. It's not Torah Shabbal Peh. It is a hidden book. Torah Tanistar is given a central place and a and the most important place within Yahadut. And Mimela, as a result, Tanakh, Torah Shabbal Peh, have a lower level of importance. Just this week, I overheard a conversation between two colleagues, one of them expressing interest in hearing Shurim in Kabbalah, and the other one, who was more knowledgeable of these issues, said, you can go into most any yeshivas that are learning Kabbalah, and you can tell, and you can go to the mikvah, and then you can go and hear a shir. And I, without holding back, said, because as opposed to divrei Torah, she'inam ekablim tumah, the Ramam Sak, in Torah, that it is not necessary to be pure to learn Torah, it is not necessary to be pure to come in contact with the, contact with the Torah, because divrei Torah inam ekablim tumah, divrei hazor mekablim tumah kanireh, because you cannot learn Zohar without going into the mikvah. Somehow, an attitude once again that the Zohar is more important and it demands tefillah b'mikveh. Of course, the truth is that the opposite is true. The fact that Torah is not mekabel tumah and cannot be impured, imp- bring impurity by a man or a woman who come in contact with it that are not pure, is only as a result of the greatness of the Torah. Torah is so great and so kadosh and so holy, it cannot be, it cannot receive impurity from an impure substance or human being. Where did we lose our judgment? as to what is important and central into Yadut and what is on the side. And one last remark before we break and perhaps reach some conclusions afterwards. I heard in our school this morning a reading from the, the Zohar describing Rabbi Shimon's great power that he stood in it's a, it's a Zohar in Parshat Vayera, Perak Lamid Gimel, that while God wanted to destroy the world, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son stood in the way of this Malach who at God's command wanted to destroy the world and stopped the destruction of the world. And I said to a colleague, it's funny because in the Gemara, the simple Gemara in the Bavli and Masechet Shabbat, the story is the opposite. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son, Rabbi Elazar, come out of the Me'arah after 12 years, and everything they look at is burning in flames. They are destroying the world. And God says to them, Have you come to destroy my world? Go back into your cave and settle yourselves down. Not Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai stopped God from destroying the world, but in fact, God stopped Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai from destroying the world. And on this critical note, We'll take a short break and listen to Rav Tavori's words on Lagba Omer, and we will return after Rav Tavori. Lagba Omer is the yard site of the Ramah. The Ramah, as is well known among all people who study Torah, 
is really Rab Moshe Isavis, the author of the Mapal Neshulchan Aruch. He was born approximately 1530. We're not really sure exactly of the date of his birth, but we do know that he passed away on Lag Baomer of 1572. So the oldest he would have been would have been approximately 47, and it could be that he passed away at the age of 42. When I was a child, it was told to me that the Ramah passed away before he was 40. In fact, they used to ask a chida, a certain type of riddle. And they said to me, could you prove from the Ramah in the Shulchan Aruch, the halacha or the minig, whether you're allowed to study Kabbalah before you're 40 years old. There's a well-known tradition that people should not study mysticism, Kabbalah, before the age of 40. They say the Ramah disagreed with that principle. Can I prove it from the Shulchan Aruch? Of course, I had no source in the Shulchan Aruch that said specifically anything about learning Kabbalah before the age of 40. And people told me to look in the first Ramah of the Shulchan Aruch. The first Ramah of the Shulchan Aruch talks about uh, the idea of getting up early in the morning and, and how to prepare yourself for the for the day. And he quotes a Zohar. So it was told to me that if you see, since the Ramah passed away before he's 40, and he himself quoted the Zohar, so it's a proof that you're allowed to study Kabbalah before the age of 40. Now, while it's true that the Ramah died at a young age, and it's also true that he did study Kabbalah, there's no proof that he started studied Kabbalah at a younger age. The Ramah was certainly involved in studies besides Torah and Halacha. We know that he studied philosophy, astronomy, and history. And when he was attacked by certain people, specifically the Marshal and others, wrote against him, the Ramah said that this is in accordance with the opinion of the Rambam, who studied philosophy, and therefore he went in the, in the ways of the Rambam. In general, the letters between the Marshal and the Ramah are very interesting. The Marshal attacked the Ramah for certain things, the Ramah defended himself, and there existed a large correspondence which was found both in the Chuvas of the Marshal and the Chuvas of the Ramah, and there are very, very interesting things about the attitude toward Hebrew, or the attitude toward, toward the Dikduk, toward the attitude toward philosophy, a lot of interesting discussions between the Marshal and the, and the Ramah. Of course, the main influence of the Ramah is needless to say that Ashkenazi Jews follow the Ramah. In fact, today, Rabbi Vad Yosef likes to quote very often that the Svaidim Paskin, like the Beis Yosef, like the Shulchan Aruch of Yosef Karo, the Svaradi, and in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Yosef Kari is considered the Mayor of the Asra, he's considered the Rav of Eretz Yisrael, the Rav of the, post, the head Posek of Eretz Yisrael. And Rav Avadi very often quotes the Pasuk, Yosef Hu Ashalit Ala Aretz. The, he takes the Pasuk, of course, that by Yosef, that he was the uh, Viceroy of Paro and Mitzrayim, he was somehow the ruler of Egypt, so he used that phrase, Yosef Hu Ashalit Ala Aretz, to say that Rav Yosef Kairo is the master of the Aretz, master of Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, Rav Avadya also quotes the famous quote, Uvnei Yisrael Yotzim Biyad Ramah. Now, of course, that Pasuk really refers to the fact that Bnei Yisrael went, left Mitzrayim with a certain type of pride, Biyad Ramah. 
but the and of course it's with a hey. But nevertheless, we use the phrase that we pass like the Ramah. B'nei Yisrael, the Ashkenazi Jews, follow the customs of the Ramah. The Ramah was born in Krakow to a rich family. He eventually had his own yeshiva, which he himself supported. He married the daughter of one of the great Tamnichacham of that generation, Rabbi Shalom Shachna. But his, unfortunately, his first wife died when she was very young. In her memory, apparently, the Ramah built the Bet Knesset, built the shul, which is called the Bet Knesset HaRamah. And at one time it was called the Isilis shul, now it's called the Bet Knesset HaRamah. And this shul still exists in Krakow. And today it's a major uh, place where people go to visit and to see, of course, the shul still functions when they have a minion, especially on Shabbos, when there are a lot of visitors to Krakow. But adjacent to the Bet Knesset is the cemetery of that area, and the Ramah, the Ramah's grave is there. And today, one of the places that people go to when they visit Poland is to the to Krakow, and especially to the Bet Knesset of the Ramah, and to the Kedr of, of the Ramah. When I visited there it made a tremendous impression upon me that I was in the Bet Knesset, actually where the Ramah davened. And somehow, even though you've learned these farm all your life, but the pe- people that you studied and mentioned seem to come much more alive when you visit the shul that they davened at, that they built, when you see even the Matseva on their kever, you realize they're real people and not just literary figures. While the Ramah was most famous for writing the, what we call the Mapan Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo the Sfaradi wrote the Shulchan Aruch, which was of course a sefer of halacha based on Psakim, and it was tinged with a Sfaradi approach of Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rev Moshe Isilis, the Ramah, thought that what was really missing here is the Ashkenazi Minha are the Ashkenazi Minhagim. All this farm of Minhagim that had come down through the generations like the Maharil and others were not mentioned by the Beis Yosef. And although the Ramah certainly treated Rabbi Yosef Cairo with utmost respect, and we see letters that he wrote to Rabbi Yosef Cairo at a young age where he really expressed total respect for Rabbi Yosef Cairo. Nevertheless, when he wrote about the Shulchan Aruch, he said, Hashem. He said, this is not the correct approach because the Minhagim of Ashkenaz were not represented. He wrote a Sefer in which would seem to be a sort of preparatory Sefer to writing the Mapa, to write the tablecloth for the Shulchan Aruch. He wrote a Sefer called Darche Moshe on the tour. Maybe at one time he meant to write the Sefer independently, but now when we look at it, it seems to be that it's a sort of preparatory work for the for the Ramah. The Ramah called this, his own Sefer, Un the Mapa, the tablecloth of the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch had been set, but it's not yet complete. Until you place the tablecloth over it, which covers the Ashkenazi customs. But I did say that Rabbi, Yos- Rabbi Moshe Yisrael was famous for many other Svarim as well. He wrote, for example, the Torah Shatas, which is a Sefer of Yisrael a very important Sefer in the world of Psak, in the world of Yisrael He wrote a Sefer also called Torah Sa'ola. 
Torah's Ola, which is a very deep uh, philosophical, a little bit Kabbalistic work. He also wrote uh, other Svein, notably his Chuvas are printed, and of course some of the Chuvas are very important in the world of Psak. Some of the well-known uh, theses of the Ramah were specifically he was very insistent upon a heter that he based what he called Hefzid Meruba. When there's a big loss of money involved, so he was inclined to be maker. For this, he was strongly attacked by certain people, notably the brother of the of the uh, Maharal of Prague, Reb Chaim, wrote against him and meant, explained many reservations why he does not agree with the whole approach of the Mapa of Rabbi Yos- of, of Moshe Isilis. The Ramah himself somewhat defended this approach, and I will quote a, what he said in one of his Sfarim. In the introduction to the Teres Chatas, he says, I would like to somehow excuse myself that the person who studies my safer should not unjustly accuse me. Sometimes I permitted something because of the great loss, and I will go on in English, or sometimes if it's in honor of Shabbos or for poor people, I was uh, lenient. But the reason I was lenient is because in most of these issues, if the idea is a heter gamur, it's completely mutter. According to strict halacha, I could say it's completely mutter. However, since achronim were machmir, so I said, well, if, you know, it's possible, okay, you can accept the chumr of the achronim. But if it's difficult, then we should establish the halacha as it is, and I've found, I've found precedent in early and later sources to do so. As I said before, this was a bone of contention. Although the concept of Hafsad Merubah certainly anticipated the Ramah, it, we find it in very early sources. Nevertheless, the reliance on Hafsad Merubah to the extent of the Shulchan Aruch, or extent of the Ramah, was unusual, and therefore there was much opposition to this approach. Another idea of famous in the Ramah, one of his important uh, ideas, was his reliance upon Minik. In a sense, the whole came about because of his insistence upon keeping Minhagim. You see, in the Svaradi tradition, the Halacha was passed according to the three great poskim that the Rabbi Yosef Cairo mentioned in the introduction to the Shulchan Aruch, and it was done by Svarim of Halacha, whereas the Minik as developed through, as I said before, the Mahari Bruna, Maharil, and other Rishonim, was completely ignored. Rabbi Yosef Cairo, as a Sfaradi, ignored, and certainly Minhagim, and certainly Ashkenazi Minhagim. Whereas Rabbi Moshe Israelis felt that these Minhagim should be the Halacha, and very often we know phrases like Minhagokir Halacha, but when there's no Halacha, we follow the Minhag. Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Israelis also wrote about his approach to Minhagim, and he said that I I very often 
follow minhagim. And he says, for example, I don't need a, a psak. Because this is the custom in the Ashkenazi communities. And he very often says, I do it according to Minik, even if that's the Chumra, but Alfala Minhagim. However, it should be noted that although it's well known that Rama relied, extent, relied extensively on Minhagim, there are cases where he said, a Minik is a Minik Tos. And once in a while he said, if I had the strength, I would cancel a minute because it's a minute toast. So the uh, concept, of course, of minute toast also is well be- written before the Ramah. The Reinu Tam already said in the beginning of Bava Basra that the Minhagim, that you don't have to rely upon. And Rabbeinu Tam is quoted once as saying that a minute spells the letters Gehenna backwards. There's some Minhagim that you don't have to follow. Nevertheless, in general, the Ramah was very insistent upon keeping Minhagim. I once heard a story that I have no source for, but I find rather amusing, that they say that when the Ramah became the Rav of Krakow, he found one night that his wife went to Mikveh, so the Shamish of the Shul came over to him and said to him, Rebbe Mazeltov. And he looked at him and said, what, what Mazeltov? He said, because your wife went to Mikveh. So he said, this is the height of priestess. Where did you ever hear such a thing? That somebody knows when my wife went to mikveh, comes up and wish me mazel tov. So the shami said, this is the minig of Krakow. So the Ramah said to him, cancel that minig, wipe it out, it's silly. A few days later, a man came to the, to the Ramah and said he has a din against the shamish. What's the din What bothered him? He said, my wife went to mikveh and he didn't wish me a mazel tov. So the uh, Ramah called the Shamish with a sort of smile on his face, I, I would guess. And he said to him, why didn't you wish him a Mazel tov? He said, well, first of all, you told me not to. And secondly, his wife did not go to Mikveh. So uh, the Ramah said, uh, apparently, this Minig in Ramah, in the Minig of, of, of Krakow, should be somewhat kept. I see in Krakow there's a need for such a Minig. So when I heard the story, they told me that was one of the reasons that the Ramah... Uh, took Minagim very, very seriously. He said, you never know why this Minig was established and what would be the ramifications of canceling the Minig. I don't have any source for this story whatsoever. It's a story that I heard when I was a child. The Much has been written, of course, about the Ramah in terms of scholarship. One of the people who almost devoted his life of scholarship to the Ramah was a personal friend of my family's, Rabbi Ziv, from New York, who wrote the biography of the Ramah, he published the Svarim of the Ramah, and really did a lot of uh, work about the Ramah, and we can, you know, give examples of Adoda HaChadashah forever of the influence of the Ramah. I would just like to point out one personal Ramah that I quote often, because I find it also very interesting. The uh, Before uh, Purim, especially this year, since Purim was a Purim Meshulash, I discussed the issue of reading the Megillah with a minion. So I said it is preferable to always to read the Megillah with a minion, or if you read the Megillah Shalom is man on that on the proper time, so then you really have to read with a minion. So, but I have, I mentioned in the Shul, when I give the Shir, I say, well, I, and I, but I'm not sure, you do need a minion, but I'm not sure if women count for the minion. The people look at me and think, you know, oh, look at him becoming a modern person, they're a little shocked. And then I say, and they, I say to them afterwards, before you accuse me of being, a conservative rabbi, I'd like to refer you to the Ramah in Hilchas Megillah, 
who says that Megillah should, when read, the idea of reading Megillah with a minion, Animus Tapek, says the Ramah. The Ramah says, I himself, I myself have the doubt whether women would count for the minion of Kriyas Megillah. And certainly the Ramah was not a conservative rabbi. The Ramah, as I said before, B'nai Yisrael Yotzin B'yad Ramah. This is the tradition of the Ramah. This is the Ramah that we follow till this very day. Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. Let's go to the Parsha Shavua. Parshat Bechukotai is the final Parsha in Sefer Vayikra. Sefer Vayikra describes holy korbanot, holy places, holy times, the Chagim, Shabbatot. The pinnacle, this, the end of Parshat Bechukotai, the end of Sefer Vayikra, pardon me, is the Tochacha. This is a very high standard we're holding you up to, Am Yisrael. If you don't stand, hold up to the standard, you will be kicked out of your country, you will suffer. And if you do keep up to the standard, if you keep the Torah, all the brachot in the world will come to you. And finally, And Sefer Vayikra should have ended here. But no. Sefer Vayikra doesn't end here. There's one last parak, The parak of Arachin. Of the human being's internal kedusha, The human's ability to make other things kadosh. To make their animal, his animals kadosh. To make his land kadosh. We the human beings are the ultimate source of kedusha. We the human beings are the ultimate test of kedusha. Not places, not korbanot, not times, not sadikim who have died from the world. It is we the human beings who hold the ultimate keys of Kedusha in our hands. We have integral Kedusha within ourselves, which is, expresses itself in the Arachin, we can make our animals kadosh. We can make our land kadosh. We make the amim tovim kadosh. It is time that we understand as Jews that the keys to our salvation, the keys to our sanctity, are not in dead people, even if they are tzaddikim. It is not in objects of kedusha. It is in ourselves. We hold the keys to our salvation and to our sanctity by keeping Torah mitzvot, by choosing the right things, by doing the right, mis- the right, right, making the right decisions, by learning Torah. Those things are the keys to our salvation. They are the keys to our sanctity. And any attempt to use, to hold, grab on to some object of kedusha whether it be some object of learning that we don't understand, whether it be a physical object, whether it be a kever of a tzaddik, all of these things are leading us in the wrong direction. And the message of this week's Parsha is that we, every one of us, every individual, we hold the keys to Kedusha. The Torah has given us choices, clear choices, not unclear choices of what we have to do and how we come close to God
and those without being looking for tricks of grabbing on to Kisei Kavod. God has given us a clear path of keeping Torah mitzvot in the simplest way. That is our key to salvation. That is our key to sanctity. May we all give ourselves credit. May we all comprehend our value and learn to come close to God in the clear path that He has given us in His Torah Shebikhtav and Torah Shebelpeh. Shabbat Shalom and a meaningful Lagba Omer.